Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 47 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast, where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I have discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. Whether this is your first time joining us, your 47th time joining us, or you're somewhere in between, it is always an absolute pleasure to have you on our expedition into the gaming wildlands. DD, our canine expedition leader, will be around to greet you and give you the obligatory sniffing of the leg. Now, if this is your first time experiencing this, just be sure to hold still and let the process happen. While this is Didi's normal greeting most of the time, this time he's on a mission. The last couple nights we've set up camp and taken a rest, we've had reports of little elves dressed in blue prancing all over our campsite and stealing from our stockpile of magic pots. And while I can't imagine you are part of these string of thefts, be sure to give Didi your cooperation during the sniff down. Our adventure into the Wildlands today is dependent on us being able to cast magic spells to ward off any attackers, and if we don't have those, well, we'll just have to resort to well-timed jump attacks and dash attacks, and who has time for that? On today's episode, we're checking out a video game that, I argue, is a staple in the beat-em-up genre of video games. It started out as an arcade game back in 1989, but it was quickly ported over to the PC Engine, the Master System, and the Genesis slash Mega Drive pretty quickly. While I never personally got to experience this game in the arcades, I did get to dabble with it a bit on the Genesis. It's a game most old-school gamers probably know, and a game I think some modern gamers today have at least heard of. It's a fantasy adventure where you need to fight your way through hordes of enemies in order to return peace to the land and claim glory for yourself and revenge for the family you lost. It's a game of swords, magic, dragons, and of course, axes. Today on the Retro Wildlands, we are going to be checking out Golden Axe. I don't know about you, but I love medieval fantasy. Warriors fighting for honor with swords and axes, wizards capable of incredible magic spells, rogues with the ability to use speed and stealth to accomplish near-impossible missions, and of course, let's not forget the fantastical creatures. It was this love that really helped fuel my love for role-playing games, but Growing up, there wasn't much else that I was really aware of in this genre. So imagine my surprise when I found out that there was a beat-em-up style game like Streets of Rage or Double Dragon that was centered around this type of universe. Thinking back, I feel like I played Golden Axe a bit when I was a kid, but I really have no memory of this game growing up. I remember things like the weapon-based combat and the ability to ride on dragons, but that's about as far as it goes. Golden Axe was one of those games that I had always been aware of, but never got a chance to actually dive into. But all of that changes today, my friends. I finally sat down with Golden Axe and put a few hours into this game. 
I've been curious about whether or not this game is as fun as I think it is, and if it's a game that holds up today. After finally playing Streets of Rage 2, I found my bar for beat-em-up games pretty high. And from what I gather from some of you in the gaming community, this game, Golden Axe, can go either way. It's either fun to play and nostalgic as hell, or it is just complete and utter hot trash. So that said, where do I stand in it all? Does Golden Axe have what it takes to stand among the greats? Or is this just a mediocre game that rides the coattails of our nostalgia? Well, gather around the campfire, my friends. Today I'm going to be answering those questions as we take a journey into the realm of barbarians, dwarves, and little thieving elves as we fight hordes of bad guys on our quest to save the land. Now, if you're new to the show, I like to take some time to chat it up with you all a little bit and give you all a peek behind the scenes here at the Retro Wildlands before we get into the episode proper. Depending on what's on my mind, I like to talk about what's going on with the podcast itself, what games I might be playing, what's going on in my personal life, any projects I'm working on, and whatever else I feel like blabbing about. I'll also read and respond to any comments I received about Golden Axe when I put a call out for them on our social media. Now, if none of this sounds interesting to you and you're just here for my thoughts on Golden Axe, no worries, you can skip ahead about 12 to 15 minutes or so and you should get into the game talk. But don't rush off just yet. I'll be talking about some of the awesome games I'm playing, and you'll get to hear your fellow Wildlanders sound off about Golden Axe, so it should be a good way to start us off. So, speaking of starting us off, let's get into our opening segment that I like to call Campfire Ketchup. So we are nearing the end of 2023, and I have to say, this year has been a fantastic one for gamers everywhere. The biggest reason for this is all of the fantastic games that have been released this year alone. I'm talking about games like Baldur's Gate 3, Spider-Man 2, Super Mario Wonder, Alan Wake 2, Lies of P, Pikmin 4, Street Fighter 6, Tears of the Kingdom, the Resident Evil 4 Remake, the Dead Space Remake, Like a Dragon Ishin, Hi-Fi Rush, and many, many more. There's been something for everyone this year, and needless to say, gamers are eating good right now. Personally, though, I haven't had a chance to play nearly as many new titles this year as I would have liked, but Resident Evil 4 Remake was a fantastic title, Super Mario Wonder is genuinely fun, and the Super Mario RPG remake slash remaster slash re-release, whatever you want to call it, which just dropped a few days before I'm recording this, has been exactly what I wanted. So while I'm still finding myself putting in 9-10 hour days in my adult job, and family always comes first around here, I'm trying my best to squeeze as much gaming into my life as possible. And really, the fact that I don't have much time to really sit down with a game and play it just makes it that much more pleasurable when I do. Mm -mm -mm. 
So speaking of some of 2023's best, I mentioned in our last episode that I'm making my way through Super Mario Wonder with my wife and kids. I've played a bit of it on my own, and while it is a fantastic game and I really think anyone curious should give it a try, I'm finding some things that I would have liked to see in the game that aren't present. Now don't get me wrong, the game is awesome, but there is just a couple little things that popped out. For instance, I love that there are a lot of characters you can play as. However, in an effort to make the game more accessible, characters like Nabbit and the Yoshis are invincible and do not take any damage. The trade-off for that sort of power is not being able to use power-ups like the Fire Flower or the Bubble Flower, for instance. And while I love the concept of these sorts of characters that allow players having difficulty to still get enjoyment out of the game, I would have loved to just be able to toggle that invincibility on or off. Say what you will about Yoshi, but he is one of my favorite characters and I would have loved to play as him and get to use power-ups and just play normally. And while I love collecting the different character standees that you can grab throughout the game, I don't like how earning them is mostly a gamble. You spend X amount of purple coins, you get one, and if it's a duplicate of one that you have already, too bad, so sad. Now I have heard that there is a shop near the end of the game that allows you to buy standees without the risk of duplicates for more coins, but that whole concept was just pretty meh for me personally. Not saying that it's bad, just that I did not resonate with it. I didn't really care for the fact that gaining these things was up to random chance, and I certainly didn't like the fact that you could circumvent this entire system by waiting to the end of the game and just buying whatever you needed outright. It just, I don't know, it all seems kind of weird to me. Still though, minor gripes in the grand scheme of things. Super Mario Wonder is a fantastic game, and I am having an absolute ball with it. Speaking of new games that I'm having an absolute ball with, the new Super Mario RPG just dropped recently, and I'm already moving my attention over to it over Super Mario Wonder. I'm only a few hours into the game at the time of this recording, but it is exactly what I was hoping it would be. It is practically a line-by-line remake of the original with some new added features. Nintendo did not need to reinvent the wheel with this one. It has been fun discovering some of the little changes that were made, such as the inclusion of a storage box for excess items and being able to see the stats that you'll increase before choosing your bonus after you level up a character. Even though I quite literally finished this game on the Super Nintendo a few weeks back, I am already having fun going through this game again. I am very eager to see what else is in store, but so far, I am pretty impressed and happy they stayed true to the original in most cases. Is this a game we absolutely needed in our lives? I argue no, it really isn't. But I am not complaining that we got it, that is for damn sure. Beyond that, I'm just dinking around with some other games here and there. Resident Evil Revelations 2 has been a fun game to go back to on the Switch, and I'm still having an alright time with F-099, though I'm finding myself playing it less and less. I still haven't won a race yet, and it's clear to me that racing games are not my strong suit. 
F-099 certainly isn't a bad experience, just one that I'm kind of getting tired of, even with the inclusion of new tracks. Now, as far as retro games go, I've been playing the original F-Zero on my Super Nintendo Classic, and that's been pretty good so far. I think I would have liked this game much more growing up, but playing it as an adult, I'm finding it kind of hard to get sucked into. I would like to do an episode on this game at one point, but I don't think that time is quite right now. It is still on my radar, though. And I've been playing around with a few Sega Genesis games that I've been meaning to get around to as well. I was messing around with Comic Zone, Rocket Knight Adventures, and Sonic the Hedgehog 3. No real opinions on these ones yet, but if any of these sound like they would make a good episode of the show, and you'd like my thoughts on them, just let me know. Or if there's another game I haven't even mentioned yet that you think would be awesome for me to talk about, let me know that as well. How can you do that, you might be asking yourself? Well, the best way would be to reach out to me on social media. The Retro Wildlands has a presence over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Threads, which I do my best to be active on as much as my time and mental ability allow. You can find us on all of these platforms if you search at Retro Wildlands, or you can check out our link tree if you want to go to linktr.ee forward slash Retro Wildlands and find all of our socials in one place. I'll post stuff about the podcast and my growing gaming collection, so if that's anything that you'd like to be a part of, check us out and drop us a follow. You can then message me directly from there if you want to, or you can interact with any of our posts. So that said, if you have a game that you'd like for me to cover out of the ones that I just mentioned, or something else, drop me a line and let me know. So other than fitting in some gaming wherever I can, I went to my second convention of the year recently. For the second year in a row, I made it a point to attend the Torg Gaming Expo in Columbus, Ohio. If any of you listening are into the gaming convention scene in any capacity, you have got to put Ohio on your map. Torg, or the Ohio Retro Gamer Expo, was a two-day event that I was lucky enough to attend with my stepson Landon. While I made it a point to hunt for games and other things that I've been looking for, this year was again more so about the people I met and got to interact with. I met a bunch of YouTube creators that I interact with on social media, and I reconnected with a podcast that was at Torg last year. So really quick, rapid fire, I just wanted to shout out Jay Malone and his YouTube channel Squarepegs. It was really awesome to see him again, and I got to meet his amazing wife, Meredith. Other YouTubers and personalities I saw included Brandy Amer, also known as Gamer Amer, the immortal John Hancock, Dr. Scott from the Game Closet, Retro Rob, Mysticles, Game Dad, Brett Weiss, the Millennial Collector Ohio, Brian from Retro Trade, and Caps Off Gaming. And one final shout out to Randy and Jeremy from the Canned Air Podcast. There was a third gentleman at their booth, but I completely forgot his name, so apologies there, my friend. Randy and Jeremy were incredibly kind and supportive of me when I met them last year, and they continued that tradition again this year. It was 
really awesome to see them both again. While some of these names may sound familiar and others may not, I encourage you all to check these people out if you have the time and you're looking to inject more gaming and pop culture into your lives. Everybody that I just rattled off are humble, passionate people that treated me and Landon like royalty. Seriously, it was just so awesome to be able to show my boy how good people can lift each other up and how supporting each other is the way. Now, while conventions are certainly more and more about the people for me, I did walk away with a pile of loot as well. Check out our social media pages for a posting I made showing it all off, but some highlights included five more PSP games I got to add to my collection, a sealed copy of Callisto Protocol for the PlayStation 4, Blood Rain 2 on the PS2, the Atari 50-year anniversary collection for my Switch, and I found a couple items that I've been looking for in good condition. Resident Evil Dead Aim, a game so bad it's good, and I found a near-pristine-condition Monster Hunter Edition PlayStation Portable for a very reasonable price. Those that don't know, I love the PSP, and this special edition just looks the most badass out of all the ones that I've found so far, and I had to have it for my collection. So yeah, all in all, I had a great time at Torg, and I'm already looking forward to the convention season next year. I keep trying more and more to put myself out there and not just grow the retro wildlands, but grow as a person, since putting myself out there for the world to see is still something I struggle with sometimes. But after a year of progress, I'm happy with what I've done outside my comfort zone so far, and I've met some incredible people because of it. And speaking of, one more quick thing before I wrap up the chit-chat. I continue to be asked to be a guest on some gaming podcasts. Just a few days ago, I got to be a guest on a new-to-me podcast, and it was really, really fun, and I had an incredible time. This particular podcast is very informal, and I had fun just letting my hair down a little bit. I'm not sure exactly when that episode is going to go live, but if you are interested, I'll be sure to post a link on our social media pages if you want to check me out and can't get enough of my amazing Italian voice. Alright, I think that's all I've got for today, my friends. It is time to transition to the reason that we are all gathered by the campfire today. It is time to talk about Golden Axe for the Sega Genesis. A couple comments from the Retro Wildlands social media pages came through for Golden Axe, and the first one comes from V. Krabi? Or is it V. C. Robbie? Yeah, VC Robbie sounds cool, so I'm gonna go with that, my friend. They wrote in over on our threads page and said, I recently discovered the Revenge of Death Adder and played through it with a friend. I love Sega beat-em-ups. You are right about that last part. Sega beat-em-ups are pretty damn alright. I don't have many under my belt, but what I've played I am pretty happy with. Streets of Rage 2 is the obvious goat, but there's also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hyperstone Heist, Double Dragon 2, and The Punisher that stick out as some of the good ones. And speaking of the Revenge of Death Adder, Golden Axe certainly spawned its fair share of additional games in the series. 
Revenge of Death Adder was only in arcades, if I remember right, and it served as the direct sequel to the original Golden Axe. It had new characters, better graphics, and you could play as four characters instead of two at a time. I've never played it myself, but I'm going to keep a lookout for this one. Or maybe I'll end up finding it on the next pirate ship that makes it to port. Gyar. And just like you mentioned in a follow-up comment, this game looks awesome when you're playing it with a bunch of friends. Thank you very much for the comment, VC Robbie. I really appreciate it. Next up, we have Chris Copleen, who is one of the hosts of the Retro Hangover podcast. He chimed in over on our Twitter page and said, I'm not a fan. I get how the game was a big step forward for beat-em-ups, but it just becomes a cat-and-mouse game with running dashes and jump kicks. It's more management than it is fun. We'll certainly get into the details when we get to the heart of the show, but you're pretty spot on here, Chris. While I am no expert in beat-em-ups, really, I feel like some of the best beat-em-ups are the best because they know how to make the flow of fighting enjoyable and they find a way to make it not be so repetitive. Beat-em-ups can get old pretty fast, but the good ones have great flows when it comes to combat and the enemies you face are varied enough to give the player a consistent challenge. Golden Axe? Well, it struggles there. Enemies are pretty predictable, and their behaviors actually force the player into some combat strategies that go against some of the basic beat-em-up principles that have endured over time. I really did feel like I was managing my enemies instead of actually fighting them. But we'll get there in good time. Thanks again for writing into the show, Chris. It is always good to hear from you. Captain N also wrote into the show over on our Twitter page and said, I remember playing this game in arcades. It took a lot of quarters for me to get nowhere. When I see it, I feel nothing but regret for the dollars worth of quarters spent. Yeah, I never had the pleasure of playing Golden Axe in the arcades, but if it's anything like the Genesis port, I can't imagine it was all that easy. While the enemy AI in Golden Axe is fairly predictable, it can be hard to manage multiple enemies on screen, and you have to almost immediately resort to tactics that are not inherently things that you would normally want to resort to in a beat-em-up just to succeed. Like Chris mentioned before, I found myself dashing and jump attacking far more than I think is normal. I know the one game I lost all my quarters to in the arcade was the Simpsons arcade game, but that is quite different from what is going on here. Thanks a bunch for writing into the show, Captain. I appreciate you taking the time. Our next comment on Golden Axe comes from Tylord over on our Instagram page. He simply said, Yes! And to be clear, that was with two exclamation points. It sounds like you have a love for this game, or you're very eager for me to potentially rip this game apart, depending on how my experience went. Either way, your excitement is always welcome in the Wildlands, my friend, so thank you for writing into the show. And our last community comment came in from Jay over on our Wildlands Twitter page. Jay, one of the hosts of the Waffling Tailors podcast, had this to say. 
Oh man, it's one of my first Genesis slash Mega Drive games ever. I remember playing this with Squidge as a very young Jay. I prefer the sequel as it's a little bit more balanced, but this is a perfect arcade game. The music, effects, everything. Have you played the arcade original? Unfortunately, Jay, I never did get a chance to experience this one in the arcades, but if I ever see it, I am definitely giving it a go. I feel like I've seen it when I was younger, just never made it to the cabinet to give it a try. That is one thing about the Genesis version that I played. While I haven't played the arcade version, I have to imagine this is pretty faithful to the arcade. Even on console, it feels very arcadey, if that even makes any sense. I am hoping to play the sequel one of these days because you're not the only one to mention to me that the experience is a bit more balanced than the original. But for this game to be your first on the console automatically makes it special, and I love that you and Squidge have that memory together. Thanks for writing into the show, Jay. Always appreciate hearing from you. Originally released in arcades in May 1989 and then ported over to the Sega Genesis on December 22, 1989, Golden Axe takes you on an epic journey. Yuria, your homeland, has been ravaged by the evil Death Adder and his army of soldiers. Thousands of people have fallen under Death Adder's march to power. To cement his victory, he kidnaps the king and the princess and he secures the mythical Golden Axe. Death Adder appears to be unstoppable. He's killed many of our friends and families. Is there nothing anyone can do? Haha, <laughs> there is always something that can be done, my friends. The time has come to stand up and fight. As either the Barbarian, Axe Battler, the Amazon Warrior, Tyrus Flare, or as Gilius Thunderhead the Dwarf, we set off towards the castle on a quest to free the kingdom from Death Adder's rule and to get a little revenge along the way. So let's get ready, Wildlanders. Sharpen your swords, shine your axes, and prepare for battle. Death Adder isn't going down without a fight, and it's going to be up to us to give him one. For honor, for glory, and for the Golden Axe. up in the late 80s or the early 90s, you more than likely had one defining moment that determined how your childhood was going to progress. Typically, that moment was whether or not your parents brought a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis into the home. Whichever console was brought in would help shape what games you played, what characters you were exposed to, and what things brought you the most nostalgia. 
Or you could have been one of the lucky few kids to have both. Either way, I've met plenty of people that grew up with either console, and I always find it interesting how those people's tastes evolve over time. Eventually, it all came together in adulthood as we had the ability to experience the ecosystem that we missed out on. Now for me, I primarily grew up as a Nintendo kid. My grandmother had the original Nintendo at her place and I would play constantly, and eventually mom and stepdad got a Super Nintendo for the home. While I did have access to the Sega Genesis over my father's house, I really only played a handful of games on that system. Sonic 2 was an amazing game in its own right, but the Sega never really grabbed me like the NES or SNES did. Over time, like I assume we all did, I heard about games for the opposing ecosystem that just stuck with me over the years. I never played any, but their notoriety was undeniable thanks to the kids who grew up playing them. While I was busy saving Hyrule with A Link to the Past, on a mission to defeat the evil Andross and Star Fox, or rescuing the princess from Bowser and Super Mario World, I would hear tales from my friends about how they would be cleaning up the city streets in Streets of Rage, finding and rescuing Princess What's-Her-Name in Earthworm Jim, or fighting through an actual comic book in Comic Zone. I never got to play these games firsthand, so all I had to go off of were the stories. They created a sense of wonder and awe, and over time, these games and their franchises would stand out as must-play experiences for one reason or another. As I grew into adulthood, I was able to get the means to play some of the Sega games that I missed out on. And for the most part, all the cool stories of how awesome and unique these games were held up pretty well, and they typically stood the test of time. I've played Toe Jam and Earl, Streets of Rage 2, and The Lion King specifically for this podcast, and while The Lion King really tested me in a lot of ways, overall these games were great, and it gave me hope for the rest of the games I wanted to experience on the Genesis. And then I decided it was time for Golden Axe. I knew of the game, and I've even seen it played before. It looked really fun, a beat-em-up with a medieval fantasy theme. I like both of those things by default, so naturally I assumed this was going to be a kick-ass experience. There was even a decent amount of love for this game, whether a person played it in the arcade or when it was ported to the Genesis. Golden Axe seemed like a well-respected franchise, and I for one was eager to finally give it a go nearly 35 years after its initial release. This also came with the added benefit of me having much more gaming experience, especially with the beat-em-up genre. I was set to have a pretty good time, and I decided on a whim that I wanted to play this game and feature it on the podcast. I knew in my heart this was going to be a fantastic experience. So... If I had to describe my overall experience with Golden Axe, I would equate it to that time I was set up on a blind date. A friend of mine told me about this gorgeous gal friend of his that needed a date to a sorority dinner of some kind. She was quirky, a bit of a nerd, and very easy on the eyes. It certainly sounded good to me, so naturally I accepted. We met up at his place, and I was immediately taken with her. 
She had a smile that could melt a man's heart and a laugh that was very infectious. I had some pretty high hopes for the evening, so, extending my arm out like the gentleman I was and still am, she grabbed on and we all went to dinner. The whole thing started off well enough. We got to know each other a bit and I found out she was a pretty big movie buff. Awesome! We started to connect and I was having a pretty decent time. And then the conversation started including things involving her ex-boyfriend. Funny stories she would share started involving him more and more, and it became quite clear to me that this girl wasn't quite over him. It really made for some awkward conversations after that, and I started to get uncomfortable. This wasn't shaping up to be what I was hoping for at all. Finally, right in the middle of dinner, her ex-boyfriend just happened to be at that dinner and came over to our table. He asked if he could join us, and then he sat with us. My date and her ex-boyfriend proceeded to repair their relationship right in front of me, and I watched as the two of them kissed, got up from the table, and walked away, leaving me behind to enjoy my overcooked state in solitude. I looked around at all the people I didn't know, took a bite of my steak, and sighed. Overcooked and cold. But hey, at least it was a free steak. So, I guess that's Golden Axe for me. It looks gorgeous and has a lot of traits that I gravitate towards, but at the end of the day, it's just a cold, overcooked steak that brings me neither joy nor sadness. Okay, I know that was a rather dramatic example and probably doesn't set up the rest of the podcast in a positive light, but roll with me here. I did enjoy this game for what it was, and I certainly acknowledge its legacy in the grand scheme of things. I can certainly see why some people might have a reverence for this game, especially if you grew up with it. But ultimately, Golden Axe didn't click with me personally. There's a lot here that I honestly like, but at the same time, I didn't have as much fun actually playing this game as I would have hoped I would. I still want to give this game a solid review and regale you with my time with it, so that is what we're going to do, my friends. Now, in order to justify my stance on Golden Axe and also be able to help you see the spots of goodness in it, we're going to have to break this game down and see exactly what it is that we're working with. So, what is this game? Golden Axe is a side-scrolling hack-and-slash beat-em-up adventure where you take control of one of three playable characters and embark on a quest to save the land. Allow me to set the stage by loosely quoting from the game's instruction manual. <laughs> the game takes place in the land of Yuria, and it has been set upon by an evil oppressor known as Death Adder. Death Adder and his army of soldiers have invaded practically every village and thousands have been massacred. He also kidnaps the king and his daughter the princess. Worse than that, Death Adder finds and seizes the Golden Axe, making him nigh unstoppable. Only someone who is strong, resilient, and crafty can find the strength needed to defeat Death Adder. Lo and behold, three warriors rise up and take up arms. 
axe battler, the mighty barbarian who is in no way related to Conan the Barbarian, I'm sure. Axe Battler was made to hear his mother's final screams. Now, he will not rest until he hears Death Adder's final screams. Emerging from the deep jungles comes Tiris Flare, the Amazon warrior. She saw her family massacred by Death Adder. Taking up her sword, she vows revenge. When she gets really angry, she has the ability to call upon curtains of fire that she'll rain down on her enemies. Lastly, Gilius Thunderhead, the dwarf, rushes forth with axe in hand. Gilius lost his brother to Death Adder, and that might be Death Adder's undoing, as Gilius is out for blood. These three, like many others, have lost cherished loved ones due to Death Adder's thirst for power. Now they rise up and swear an oath to defeat him, even at the cost of their lives. The challenge ahead is overwhelming. Defeat all of Death Adder's soldiers and beasts, travel the treacherous route to his castle, and prepare for the final battle. It's as simple a story setup as you can get, and really, it's all the motivation you'll need to press forward into battle. The game itself has eight stages. You'll start in the woods on your way to Turtle Village, and eventually you'll end inside the castle where Death Adder awaits. I have to say, though, one thing that I really enjoy about Golden Axe as an overall package is the presentation. Once you get into the game, you'll immediately notice the beautiful pixelated backgrounds. Whether it's the woods of the starting area or the interior of the castle once you make it that far, every pixel looks gorgeous and it really helps set the scene. Now, I am not saying that the graphics are the best on the console or anything, but for a 34-year-old game, they are pretty impressive. More so impressive are the character sprites. Our heroes, and even the villains, are all done up nicely here. Not only are the characters you play as incredibly detailed, the enemies you fight aren't half bad either. While there's a decent amount of enemy and creature variety, it's hard not to notice the reuse of some assets just due to the sheer detail. It's really hard to put into words just what the visuals do here, but they do a fantastic job of really pulling you into this medieval fantasy world. Character and enemy weapons look good and feel weighty when you swing them, too. Oh, and let's not forget the game's soundtrack. You'll be hearing plenty of the game's music throughout this episode. Now, while I don't think the soundtrack in Golden Axe is top tier or anything, it is serviceable and plays its part in immersing the player into the game world. The music that plays during the first level, called Wilderness, is probably the most iconic and memorable from my standpoint. Something about it just screams epic battle, and it's ripe for an orchestral backing. Everything regarding Golden Axe's presentation, in my mind, is a solid 7 out of 10. Very good, fits well, and stands the test of time being a game as old as it is. 
Well, now that I think about it, there is one musical number that plays in between stages involving some elves that really gets on my nerves. But don't worry, I will make you suffer through that soon enough. <laughs> now, where Golden Axe shines as well as stumbles at times is with its core gameplay. It's one of those games where you'll get better the more you play it and sort of fosters that quote-unquote get good mentality, but there's an interesting twist to all of that. You see, the more I played Golden Axe, it wasn't so much about getting good as it was exploiting the game's shortfalls when it comes to enemy AI and how enemies behave in combat. Chris Copleen, who tossed in a community comment at the beginning of the show, said it better than I ever could. A lot of times you're going to be managing your enemies more so than just straight up fighting or interacting with them. What does that really mean in practice? And is that me automatically saying this is a bad game? Not necessarily. So with that said, I think that's our cue to slide this game into our Sega Genesis and give it a go. So when we boot the game up, we're met with a pixelated cloudy sky and the Golden Axe logo flies on screen. Fun fact really quick, the kanji writing, as I think it's called, hides a few weapons within itself. Look closely and you'll find a sword, an axe, and even a warhammer. I also found out that the logo actually translates to Battle Axe, and was supposed to be the game's original title. That eventually got changed to a Broad Axe, but then the head of Sega at the time said, Nah, I don't like that either. Change it to Golden Axe. Why Golden Axe? Apparently, Gilius the Dwarf's axe in the arcade version was gold, so that's where the name came from. Fun stuff. Anyway, the arcade version of the game just had the main gameplay experience. The Sega Genesis version that I played comes with several more options. Pressing start on our controller, we'll get to see a list of those options. First up, we have Arcade. Self-explanatory there, that's the main game mode, and it's pretty much a direct port of the arcade classic. Below that is a beginner option. While some people might find it a little insulting to their ego, and I was one of them at first, I actually recommend you play the game in beginner mode if you've never played it before. It's not all that easier than the arcade mode, but you'll get the bonus of being able to cast magic more often by not having to use all of your magic pots for a spell, more on that later, and you'll only play through the game's first three stages. It helped me get used to things, so I found it somewhat valuable. You do you, though. If you want to go right into the arcade mode, you can absolutely do that. Now, below Beginner on the menu is an option titled The Duel. This is an interesting addition to the Genesis version that allows a single player to go after enemies in a gauntlet-style scenario. There are 12 rounds of enemies that you have to face, each round being slightly harder than the last, and your objective is to fell them all in a single life. It's a decent challenge and a great supplement to the core game, but I don't think you get anything for your troubles if you win. Other than bragging rights, of course. 
Now, one thing I neglected to mention is that Golden Axe can be played as a two-player game. If you have a friend with you and you select the duel, you'll actually square off against each other in one-on-one -on -one combat. I didn't have a chance to rope anyone into playing this game with me before I did the podcast on it, so I can't really speak to this part of the experience, but it sounds pretty cool, I guess. I can take or leave any sort of one-on-one -on -one player versus player activity in pretty much any game, so this is something I probably wouldn't have played anyway growing up. I mean, I am an only child, so it's not like I have a sibling to beat the crap out of anyway. But either way, the option is there. Lastly on the list is the options menu. In here, you can mess with your control scheme a little bit, and you have access to a sound test, but more importantly, you have the ability to increase or decrease your character's overall health. By default, you'll start with three bars of health, but you can dial it up to five, or you can dial it all the way down to one. I am not gonna lie, I dialed that thing right up to five, and I kept it there. It was probably the only reason I was able to finish this game. But if you're looking for a hardcore challenge and you want to reduce your health to one bar, have a ball, you psychopath. One more quick thing. Once we're back on the main menu, you'll see that we have four credits if you look to the lower right hand side of your screen. We use one to start the game, so we'll have three continues to use when we lose all of our lives. We have three lives per continue, so I assume you can do the rest of the math from there. Once we're ready to move forward, we select the arcade option to begin our adventure. On the next screen, we're given a choice of characters to play as. Each character more or less plays the same, but there are some noticeable differences between each of them. Axe Battler, the Barbarian, is the most well-rounded character. He isn't too fast, but not too slow. He has decent weapon reach with his sword, and his magic attack strength is in between the other characters. All in all, Axe Battler is a good choice no matter your skill level, in my opinion. Tyrus Flayer? Tyrus Flayer? Nah, it's too late to correct myself. Tyrus Flayer, the Amazon, excels at magical attacks. If you save up enough magic potions and unleash her ultimate attack, she'll do incredible amounts of damage. Not only that, Tyrus is pretty fast on her feet. Her dash attack is snappy and quick, and she is an absolute favorite for anyone looking to speedrun this game. Lastly, we have Gilius Thunderhead the Dwarf. Gilius is more physically focused and has the weakest magic attack out of all three of our heroes. Not only is his physical attack strength pretty strong to supplement his weak magic abilities, Gilius has fantastic reach with his axe. Generally, I think the dwarf is a favorite for Golden Axe veterans, and he's slowly becoming my personal favorite. However, for today's episode, let's take Axe Battler for a spin. We select him, and the game begins. Emerging from the left side of the screen is our hero. Before we take control, our hero speaks through dialogue text, setting the stage. Death Adder invaded the castle and has taken the king and princess prisoners. My good friend Alex was also killed in the battle. 
To defeat them and to bring peace to the land is my duty. From what I remember, Alex is an actual character in the arcade version of Golden Axe that comes on screen and dies before the player. But in the Genesis version, his memory lives on only in text form. With that out of the way, the player is able to take control and our adventure begins. Controlling your hero is easy enough. Using the directional pad, you can move up and down and left and right. You have three basic actions that are mapped to your three buttons. First, your physical attack with your equipped weapon. Second, you have the ability to jump. You can actually jump incredibly high in this game for some reason, but let's not think about the details. Your third action is your ability to cast magic. If you look at the top of your screen, you'll see a sort of magic meter that has several sections to it. As you progress through the game, you'll need to find magic pots, which you can use to cast your magic. The more magic pots you have in your possession, the stronger your magic attack will be when you fire it off. Unless you're playing on the beginner difficulty, when you use a magic attack, all of your pots are used, so you have to decide if you want to save up your magic pots to unleash a stronger attack, or if you want to use smaller spells to keep the enemy off balance, more than just killing them outright. How do we get more magic pots, you might be wondering? Stay tuned, we'll get there soon enough. For now though, it's time that we get moving. As we move to the right of the screen, we're met with our first challenge. Two enemies come in off screen, and it's clear they mean to disembowel us and dance on our bloody corpses. Before we give them the option, let's go on the offensive. Moving in front of one, if we press our attack button repeatedly, our hero will attack with a combo move. Two slashes with our sword, then we beat the hilt of our sword into the enemy's skull a few times, and then we finish our combo with a size 12 boot to the face. Our foe goes down, but he is not out. Let's finish him quickly before he has the chance to retaliate. If we double tap the directional button forwards, our hero will begin to dash. It's your standard beat-em-up style dash maneuver, and if you attack while you're dashing, our hero will throw their shoulder into the enemy. Every enemy in this game, at least I'm pretty sure if I remember right, will go down if you throw your shoulder into them. It is imperative that you remember this and incorporate the dash attack into your routine because enemies in this game will always, always be trying to flank you. If they ever surround you and start wailing on you, you are going to take some serious damage and then you're going to get pissed off, so let's avoid that where we can. The dash attack we just landed was enough to end our foe, and as he expires, he lets out a blood-curdling death wail. <laughs> I love the death cries in this game. I love that they're so intense that the music in the game has to stop in order to accommodate it. <laughs> but it's no time for laughter right now. The other enemy is maneuvering behind us and we need to take him out before he gets the upper hand. This is actually a good opportunity to talk about one of the best offensive strategies in the game. I didn't realize you could do this until I stumbled upon it by accident, so heed these words well, fellow warriors. 
Now, keeping enemies on their back is going to be important as we battle multiple enemies. The dash attack is a great way to accomplish this, but you can also knock enemies on their ass by doing a jump attack. If you jump in the air and hit the attack button, your hero will swing their weapon downwards. If you can connect, the enemy will go flying. Let's do that now and give us a little bit of breathing room. Jump up, and then attack. Excellent. Now, here's the winning formula. Your hero can perform a powerful downward strike if you do a jump attack while you're dashing. It can be a little bit of a pain to pull off since you jump higher while you're dashing and it'll take a little bit longer to land, but the amount of damage dealt if you can connect is incredible. If an enemy is on their feet, they will tend to sidestep this maneuver 99% of the time, leaving you open to attack. You want to knock your enemy on their back and while that enemy is getting to their feet, bring a dashing jump attack on their face. Let's try to do that now before the goon we knocked down decides to get back up. Double tap to dash, press the jump button, and now press the attack button. Hell yeah, good stuff. Get used to employing this strategy sooner rather than later, and Golden Axe is going to be much easier for you. Conventional wisdom says that you need to just walk up to an enemy and beat the shit out of them with a regular attack combo, but you'll soon discover that your regular attack combo will leave you exposed to a back attack because of how long it takes. Another rule to live by, regular attack combo is fine if there is only one enemy on screen, but if there are multiple enemies on screen, use your dash attack or your jump attacks to knock one enemy away, and then you can do a combo attack on the other in relative safety. But, and this is a big but, the enemy AI in this game is very predictable. If an enemy is half a screen away from you or more, their default action will be to dash attack you. So if the enemy that you knock down gets to their feet and you're on the other side of the screen wailing on their pal, they will retaliate with a high flying boot to the back of your head and you're going to have a bad time. Jeez Nomad, that seems like a lot of things to manage. Ah, you said it, dear listener, and there's that word again, management. When I first played this game, I was coming off games like Streets of Rage 2 and Turtles in Time. Your basic attacks were strong, useful, and were just part of the overall package. I brought that mentality to Golden Axe and would find myself getting surrounded incredibly often and my basic attacks constantly being interrupted. The veil behind the enemy AI became quite apparent. Enemies are programmed to close distance with you quickly, dash attack you if they're more than halfway across the screen, and surround you if there are more than one of them on the screen at once. And that is it. That is the extent of their programming. In other beat-em-ups, you'd have enemies that would have different behaviors and attack patterns you'd have to plan for and incorporate into the overall combat scenario. The foot soldiers in most Ninja Turtles games were perfect for showcasing this. 
you'd have your rank-and-file physical attackers, your long-range weapon throwers, enemies that would jump attack you, and so on and so forth. In Golden Axe, it is not like that at all. So because of this, you aren't really flying by the seat of your pants changing up your combat style on the fly depending on what enemies are on screen. You're just trying to break up the enemy AI's basic routine over and over again. Once the game's coding, as it were, was visible to me like this, it honestly broke the immersion for me in a lot of different ways. Now, to counter my own criticism a little bit, balancing the enemy AI is fun in its own right, or at least it has the potential to be. It can be pretty fun to be able to juggle enemies around and work in dashing jump attacks and quickly take enemies out, but it did get stale for me over time. So, how does one break up the monotony of this? By getting yourself a beast to ride into battle. Yes, Golden Axe features a few mountable creatures you can jump on and take into battle. Speaking of, the first of which is just up ahead. As we move forward past another set of Death Adder's goons, we'll have two more enemies come on screen. One is just your regular rank-and-file baddie, but the other is riding a ferocious beast. This pink and yellow creature is called a cockatrice, or more notably, the chicken leg. This beast will attack by sweeping its long tail at our hero, and if it connects, it'll do some pretty decent damage and knock us off our feet. As soon as we see any sort of creature like this, we want to prioritize knocking the enemy off its back so we can mount the creature instead and use it in battle. I found that a well-placed dash attack is a great way to accomplish this, so let's do that now. Double tap the directional pad, press the attack button. Nice, you're practically a natural at this. Once the creature has no mount, it'll just sit there. Quickly walk over to it, and then you'll automatically mount it. Don't waste any time, though. That predictable enemy AI will have enemies in the area immediately default to mounting the creature as well. Once you do mount the beast, immediately go on the offensive. Attacking will have the chicken leg swing its big tail forward and knock enemies around for decent damage. Keep up the pressure, and if you're good enough, you'll be able to wipe your enemies out with very little resistance. Excellent work, hero. Now, be careful though. All it takes is one hit for you yourself to go flying. Sometimes your beast will stick around and wait for someone else to take it for a ride, but eventually it can run off. Never waste an opportunity to put the hurt on some enemies if you can get a creature underneath you. It'll save you effort, time, and potentially lives in the process. Moving forward, we're given a chance to collect some magic pots to add to our pile. They aren't lying on the ground or in a treasure chest or anything, but they're in the sacks of tiny little elves. On screen, a couple elves clad in blue scurry about. They move fast and abruptly, and if we want their goods, we're going to have to smack these elves around a little bit. Which isn't going to be all that hard, and it will be somewhat satisfying. These elves have a stupid look on their face, which makes them extremely punchable. 
So let's not waste any time and introduce these elves to the underside of our dirt caked boot. Once we make contact, a magic pot will go flying, and all we'll need to do is make contact with it and it'll automatically be added to our stash. If an elf still has more magic pots in their possession, they'll continue to scurry around the area. Do not be afraid to wallop on them a little bit more. Magic is going to be important in our quest, and if the elves aren't willing to share, we're going to need to take their resources by force. Sweet. We still have some room for some more magic potions, but if we do decide to use our magic now, it'll be a lot more potent than it was before. Now, speaking of magic, a quick note. Elves will appear in the same spots in every level. The game wants you to be strategic with the use of your magic since it's a finite resource and you won't really be sure when it is you're going to get your next refill. But since the appearance of elves and the amount of magic that they have for you is always the same, you can plan magic around seeing them in levels that you're in. Another rule that I try to live by, I tried not to have a full magic meter if I knew elves were coming up. The only exception here would be if I was playing as Tiris Flare, the Amazon. She can hold so much magic that it makes sense to not use it all the time and save it for those big blasts against bosses at the end of each stage. And speaking of bosses, we've come to the end of stage one and we are ready for our first boss encounter. Hopefully, if we've been lucky enough, we'll still be mounted on top of our monster companion. If that's the case, well-timed tail whips will make this battle easy. But if you're anything like me, you're going to lose your steed quickly and you'll have to go about this fight the old-fashioned way. Now, the boss encounters in Golden Axe aren't really anything to write home about. In this case, the battle starts with two rank-and-file goons coming after you, but near the right-hand side of the screen, you can see two big, big guys with hammers just waiting for their turn to turn you into a flat, gooey paste. They'll stay out of the initial battle until the common baddies are disposed of, or if you're craving a challenge, go over to them and hit them prematurely. That'll activate them, and they'll waste no time trying to take your head off. Now, there's really no special strategy that you need to employ here. If you remember your warrior training from before, and you're effectively managing your opponents with well-timed dash attacks, sidestepping enemy dash attacks, and chipping away at your foe, you're gonna do just fine with this battle. Regular jump attacks will knock these big guys off their feet just as easily as regular enemies, so be sure to use that to your advantage as well. One thing you definitely want to do is make sure to use your magic attack at some point. Not only will your magic attack hit every enemy on screen, they'll be knocked back, so it's a great tool for crowd control. Plus, we'll have an opportunity to stock up on magic right after the fight is over, but we'll get to that in a moment. As far as boss fights go, it can be challenging just because if you slip up and let the big guys pummel you, you're going to take massive damage. But, on the other hand, boss fights in this game are pretty formulaic. Just fall back on the same routine as the rest of the baddies in this game, and you'll generally do alright. 
And while that sounds fine, that is not at all what a good boss fight should be in my opinion. While I'm not the biggest fan of boss fights in general, some of the most memorable ones force the player to change up how they play for a bit or make them adapt to a new strategy in order to win the day. Good bosses should serve as a way for players to skill check themselves and make sure that they've gotten used to the game's mechanics up to that point and find ways to continue to build on that. The boss fights in Golden Axe are none of these things and leave much to be desired. Later bosses are unique monsters that have big shields and long swords, and I think that's good from a variety standpoint, but the same strategies are still usable and oftentimes required. The only different boss fight is the one at the very end of the game with Death Adder himself. But what makes it different is that he'll cast powerful magic that can wipe you out extremely fast, and he has a couple of skeleton goons that will not die no matter how much you damage them, so you'll have to manage them while you're chipping away at the final boss. It's a little disjointed, to say the least. Once the boss battle is over, the stage is finished. Before we move on to the next one though, our hero needs to rest up. We'll be taken to a scene where our hero is asleep by a small campfire. If we happen to have any magic pots that we didn't use in the last stage, we'll set a few of them out in the open next to us. I'm sure that won't come to bite us in the ass or anything. All seems quiet by the campfire until... A thieving little elf comes on screen and steals our magic pots. What a dick! We're given control of our hero and we need to reclaim our magic pots or the elf will scurry away with them. All the while we have to listen to this insufferable music, which is the one track in this entire game that I cannot stand. Oh my god. If we're able to hit the elf enough times, we'll get the magic pots back that the elf stole from us, and maybe a few more. This is one reason that I try to make it a point to use my magic before the end of a stage. If you have no magic pots for the elf to steal, he'll appear on screen and you can gain pots from him like normal for the next stage. Once the elf has nothing more to give, he'll run off and you can continue progress towards the castle. And with that, that's pretty much what Golden Axe is in a nutshell. It can be a difficult experience if you go into it expecting this game to operate like your standard beat-em-up. You need to use other, unconventional tactics to take advantage of the enemy AI to see yourself the victor here. Now again, don't get me wrong here. Even though I've been pretty critical of Golden Axe for the majority of the show, I do genuinely like this game. Even if you are just managing enemies and exploiting behaviors, there are times that I had a good time with this one. There are certain stages that you'll come through that have pitfalls that you and your enemies can fall down. Obviously your enemies aren't going to consciously fall down a hole, at least not most of the time, but it is oddly satisfying baiting an enemy to dash attack you and watch them fall to their death as you sidestep them and watch them fly. 
Stage 7 of the game, which has you in the dungeons of the castle, is full of pitfalls like this. You can actually knock the end bosses into a hole if you can position them just right and dash attack them. I often wonder if this stage was made as more of a reward for players who took advantage of the enemy AI like this. From what I remember, Stage 7 is not in the arcade version and was added as an extra level to the Genesis version. Speaking of holes though, in this particular level there's a hole that you yourself need to jump over and you can only make the gap if you're dashing and then you jump. I lost quite a few lives figuring this out, so maybe the developers put this in the level as more of a big joke than anything else. Eh, whatever. When I finally made it to the very end of the game and beat it on my own merits, I felt actual satisfaction at a job well done. I will say, if you're able to make it to the end to see the end credits, Golden Axe has one of the more creative end credit scenes. All the game's enemies will appear one after the other, and you'll get to see what their names are, and you'll get to see some stats about them too. After all of that, the credits roll in spectacular fashion. Gilius the Dwarf will throw out a ball of letters, and one of the game's baddies will smack it with a club, and the letters will appear in order on screen. It was pretty cool, even if it was a little goofy. I did like how the people working on the game just screwed around and didn't really even use their own names. The software designer always stood out to me because they put their name down as Moto CBX1000, which is a type of motorcycle. Why this was done is anyone's guess, but it is still pretty cool. After all the effort that you're going to be putting into this game to see it to the end, it's nice to sit back and see the credits unfold before going back and giving it another run. So, when you wrap it all up, I think Golden Axe is a game you should absolutely play if you get the opportunity. Has the gameplay experience stood the test of time? Well, as a 39-year-old that is playing it for the first time, I argue no. There are far better games out there, and from what I'm hearing from some of you listening, Golden Axe 2 is the better balanced game in this franchise. But even then, there are much better beat-em-ups to try. The Streets of Rage games are a no-brainer, and I argue Final Fight is a good option as well. But Golden Axe does deserve a place in history, and I think it deserves a place on your gaming resume. I never had a chance to play this with another person, and I'm sure that adds some much-needed spice to the overall experience. More than that, Golden Axe for the Genesis was a fantastic port of the arcade title, and one of the earliest examples of a port getting nearly everything from the arcade version right, and adding some extra features. Not everyone had the ability to go to the arcade, so being able to bring this title home to consoles so faithfully is a feat that cannot go unmentioned. Not only that, the success of Golden Axe really helped Sega start to turn a corner in the war against Nintendo. So, all of that said, you can certainly do better than Golden Axe when it comes to the gameplay experience, but you can also do a whole hell of a lot worse. Take a chance on Golden Axe if you've not played it before and you just want to see what it's all about. And if you have played it before, I encourage you to give it another go. 
if for no other reason than just to have an excuse to kick one of those dick elves right in the teeth. With that, we've come to the end of another expedition into the gaming wildlands, my friends. This has been episode 47 of the Retro Wildlands, Golden Axe for the Sega Genesis. Thank you all very much for tuning into the show today. Thinking back, I think this is the first game that I've played for the podcast that was pretty so-so, but I still had a decent time with it. I am really having a good time playing games that I missed out on as a kid, and even if the game isn't an absolute banger, it's nice to finally be able to say that I've played it, and Golden Axe was one of those games for me. So if you liked Golden Axe, I hope I didn't beat up on it too badly. If nothing else, it makes me excited to see where this series goes from here. I'm very eager to give Golden Axe 2 a try and see how they might have tightened up the gameplay experience. At the end of the day, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for anything medieval fantasy, so I'll be back in the land of Yuria to experience the next chapter in the Golden Axe series one day down the long, windy road. If you like today's show and want to show it and or myself some support, please consider subscribing to the Retro Wildlands on your preferred podcasting platform. For now, I am only able to create and release podcast episodes when my busy life allows, so I have no real release schedule right now. Following or subscribing to the show will make sure that you're notified the moment I post some new content. Now, if you really like the show and want to go the extra mile, I would appreciate it if you gave the show a good review. You can give the Retro Wildlands a star rating on Spotify, but please feel free to leave us a written review. You can do that over on Podchaser, iTunes, and on Podbean, which is the platform that I use to host the show. If you've listened this far, I have to assume you liked what you heard, even a little bit. So if you could leave me a good review of the show, it would mean the world to me. But please, only do so if you think I earned it, and if it's worth your time investment. You are under no obligation, and just the fact that you're listening to my words right now is much more than I could ask for, so thanks again for just being here today. So, what's coming up next? Even though Retro is in the podcast title, I keep thinking about some games that I want to cover on the show that are a bit more modern, but they have a little hint of Retro in them. Super Mario Wonder is a game that I would love to give my thoughts on, but I am nowhere near done with that game yet. I'd also love to talk about the new Super Mario RPG and point out all of the cool changes that I've noticed. Maybe it's worth bringing back my buddy Nick if he's played through the new release. We'll have to see. And speaking of games in the beat-em-up genre, I've been dying to give my thoughts on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, which is a love letter to not just Turtles fans, but to some of their older beat-em-up titles. 
But at the same time, there's some old retro games that I need to get to that I've brought up on the show before. F-Zero is one of them, but I'm also feeling a pull towards games like Comic Zone for the Genesis, and I want to try Ninja Gaiden for the NES, and I thought about heading back to the Game Boy Advance and giving Metroid Fusion a whirl. After the last couple weeks I've had and all the extra hours I've been putting in at work, my mind is just racing with all the possibilities. What would you like me to cover on the show? Drop me a line over on our social media pages and let me know. I've played games for the first time based on your recommendations before and turned them into some pretty cool shows, so I am all about taking your lead. You just have to speak up and let me know what you're craving. Regardless of where we go next, though, I hope you decide to stick with our Wildlands expedition when it's time to head out once again. You are always welcome back anytime. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the Retro Wildlands. <laughs>